Welcome to the Midlands Young Life Podcast. Here, we hope to post talks from our leaderships, leader weekends, and much, much more. I hope these talks will encourage you to grow deeper in your faith with Christ and make Him known in your community. This is the last and final talk from Pat Goodman as he addresses our leadership from our 2020 Leader Weekly. We hope you've enjoyed his talks. Thanks so much for listening. I feel like um, there's been a lot that has been um, offered to you this weekend on a number of fronts, but I hope that it's been at a pace that you've maybe been able to take it in, and um, I hope that you'll spend some time uh, as you go home, excuse me, or maybe even in the early part of next week, just processing some of this, but I want to just say this. You know, I don't think in many ways that, uh, you know, when these people that were affirming you on these clips that you really allowed that to go in. Because one of these days, some of you are gonna be those people. You're gonna be those moms and dads, or pastors, or business leaders, or you know, um, nurses, or carpenters, plumbers, IT people. I don't know what you're gonna do. I only say this. I don't think that there's anything you could do in many ways to prepare for influencing others than what you're doing right now in this thing called Young Life. You're, you're being forced to trust God. You're learning how to, quote, communicate. You're learning to give your life away. You're uh, literally learning how to translate this thing, this message verbally, lead groups, lead small groups. These are skills that you'll use for the rest of your lives. <clears throat> but here's one of the things I have seen. I think sometimes as people, quote, are young life leaders for a period of time and they're like, then they stop. A lot of people just quit doing anything. And I want to say to you that what we're going to talk about this morning affirms is that you're on a team that's always playing. The game is always on. And I would also say that who you are as a person transcends what you're going to do as a vocation. Who you are as a person ought to be demonstrated through what you do as a vocation but we are always a part of what this one Jesus Christ who we're following is doing in the world at all times. Does that make sense? You don't stop doing that for a while. Then I just kind of go get into my job and my career and a family, and I kind of do that other thing a little bit. No, 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 no. What you're doing with him is to be the thing that dominates the reality of your existence till the day you meet him face to face. And I'm only saying that what you're learning now is something that I think will help you for the rest of your days. Does that make sense to you guys? Good. Okay. Uh, So um, let me ask you a question. Some of you may know this passage, but in Matthew 6, verse 9, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And you guys remember what he did. Let's do this together. Our Father, you can do it with me, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Kingdom stop right there. Did you hear that? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What? May thy what? And thy where? What do you think Jesus meant for that? Do you think he was serious about that? Do you think he meant that someplace off in the far distant future? What if I told you that Jesus had every intention for that kingdom to begin to be experienced when he brought himself, when he was in this world, as much as it would be right now, that it was a beginning of something where literally the kingdom of God was going to move back into the reality that he had created in the first place that we kind of threw a boomerang into. But I want you to imagine with me, what would the world look like right now if the kingdom was coming to this earth in growing measure? What would we maybe have less of if the kingdom of God was truly coming into fruition in the way that Jesus prayed for it to in growing measure? Any ideas? Because it's really hard to imagine something coming in growing measure if, in fact, we don't um, have a sense of what it would be. So I'll give you one. You ready? No more poverty. Anybody else want to throw a couple out? 
No more heartache. Is that it? No more disease. No more separation. No more war. No more shooting. No more evaluating each other by our skin color or the contours of our face and bodies. Keep going. No more loneliness. No more shame. No more guilt. No more divorce. No more prisons. No more suicide. No more abuse. No more alcoholism. No more terror. Let me ask you just what we're playing for, does it matter? It does, doesn't it? This is huge. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1. But I want to ask you something this morning. And it's simply this. If I were to ask you on a macro scale what's going on in the world and what's going on with history and what part do we have to play in it, sometimes we can miss this, can't we? It's like history, that's a big thing. Like the world, that's a big thing. Here's what's so beautiful about this. This thing called history, I remember a pastor saying once, is really his story. We don't have to own this. We just get to be a part of something, which is so fantastic. So if I were to ask you, what time is it? Your tendency would be to do what? You look at your watch and you go, what do you mean, Goody? It's, uh, it's almost quarter of 10. That's called chronos time, chronology. It's not what I'm talking about. If I were to ask you what time is it on a grand scale of history, you might be like, I have no idea. But you are gonna in just a second. Because if I were to ask you what time is it in light of a bigger story, of what God's doing in the world, the answer to that ought to be, it's kingdom building time. Jesus came and he actually prayed what? Thy kingdom, thy will be, where? You could even say, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done at the University of South Carolina, as it is in heaven. But we don't think this way because we don't have eyes to see what's actually occurring. But what if we can get eyes to see what's really going on? That you can sit in a class and you can go into a Starbucks or a Popeyes or Chick-fil-A, depending on the kind of chicken sandwich you like, right? And you can think, what does it look like to bring kingdom here? You know, Chick-fil-A, if I had it, I would have shown it to you. I have it back home. But every new employee at Chick-fil-A has to watch a video. And the video just films people, but they have captions under each person and something about their story that no one knows, but the employees are taught to treat people like they're not just a customer, but they're a human being with a story. And they know that there are people in there who just got divorced or just got a cancer diagnosis or who just lost somebody or who are celebrating an anniversary, whatever it is. There's much more going on under the hood. So when Jesus comes, he came to literally salvage this. Get this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, it says this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus Christ. And through this one, Jesus Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through his blood shed on a cross. This is powerful. When we think of salvation, what do you think most people think of? We think of, I got saved, therefore I'm going where? I'm going to heaven. Salvation, often we think about this, about getting out of here. <laughs> it's about, man, I'm saved, quote, I got salvation, I'm leaving. It's about something future. What if I told you salvation actually has everything to do with life right now? The word salvation in its purest form means health, wholeness, or security. 
portion reflects a future time where there's going to be no unhealth, nothing that's unwhole or insecure. But it's a reality that's basically saying it refers to a salvaging, if you will, a rebuilding of what is broken to bring health and wholeness and security to that which God Almighty created to function fully already. Does that make sense to you all? In fact, you can look at the Bible, and I'll give you four quick themes. Uh, I wasn't going to do this word, but I'm going to. Um, we have four major themes of the Bible. We have creation, fall, I'm going to abbreviate here, redemption, and restoration. You guys with me? These are hard words to talk with somebody maybe that isn't, quote, in the uh, believing world. You say, hey, I want to talk to you about the four big things of the world. Uh, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. But, you know, people who don't even believe in God, I alluded to this the other day, think this way. Because if you change these words, creation really talks about how life ought to be. People talk this way all the time, don't they? Oh, man, that's not right. It refers, they're, they're basically saying they do believe there's something that is right or the way it should be or the way it ought to be. The fall is the way life is. My friend Mike Metzger came up with this. I really love this. Is, the way it is. People talk about this all the time. This is like the code. It's like in everything. We intuitively know that something, nobody has to look at somebody starving on a street and go like, man, that's really good. When 9-11 happened, which some of you were just kind of like, little ones at that point in time, but nobody said, oh, that's great. We ought to blow up trade centers every day. Intuitively, people said, man, that, the way it is, isn't the way it ought to be. Redemption, though, is can. How can it be different than it is if it isn't how it ought to be? Does this make sense to you guys? This is in the whole of Scripture. Restoration deals with how it will be. Ought is, can, will are different words for creation, fall, redemption, restoration. If life isn't how it ought to be, how can it be different than it is? And what will it be one day? This is what Jesus came to be. He basically said, look, it isn't how I created it to be. And I'm not good with that. And neither are you. I want you to experience your wholeness. Because see, when you let lies begin to dominate your life, you know what you do because I was being ineffective? You don't help rebuild kingdom. and you become unbelievably self-focused. And so what Jesus came to do is to take back what is already His. This is why all the big words in the Bible like redemption, re reconciliation, renewal, rebirth. What does re mean? What's it mean? Well, if it's again, what does that mean? It already was. Isn't that awesome? Like Jesus is basically saying, I'm coming back to get what was already mine in the beginning. It was mine here. You guys tried to steal it away. I'm coming back to get what is mine so what is mine can actually be the way it was created to be. You look at every one of the gospel stories. This whole story is in every gospel healing. Think of the demoniac. Do you think when he was created that that was the way it ought to have been? No. It was the way it is, right? He was literally tortured by evil and brokenness. How can it be different? Jesus Christ comes in and sees what nobody else sees and shows that it can be different than it is. And because he had this encounter, his future, what would be, was completely different. Isn't that beautiful? You see it with the blind beggar. You see it with the adulterous woman. You see it all over Scripture. That their original oughtness gets restored and is profoundly powerful. Okay, here's what I want to do. Let's take a look at this. If I were to ask you what time is it, what would you say to me? Say it like you mean it. Yeah, which means this, it's not just another day. It's never just another day. It's too often we don't see this correctly. Therefore, we miss it. You guys in the back, I want you to, I, I'm not going to have trouble drawing. I want to draw something for you that I think will be very, very helpful. So um, in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, Behold, 
The kingdom of God is here or is near or is at hand. In Luke chapter 4, he then instantly begins to, it's a different passage, but these things kind of go together. In Luke chapter 4, one day in the early part of Jesus' ministry, he goes into the temple and he takes out the scroll. The scriptures say he unrolls it. You can almost just imagine this. And he gets to the part where he gets to Isaiah 61. It's the messianic prophetic words of what life's going to be like when the Messiah comes and brings kingdom. And he says this, things like, the lame are going to walk, the blind will see, the poor will be restored. And he keeps going on, he says, and favorably, then the, 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 the year of Jubilee, or the favorable year of the Lord will come. And then he takes the scroll and he rolls it back up and he sits down in the seat of Moses, basically as if to say, today, this is happening. I'm coming back into the world I created to salvage what is mine. And it's not just people, it's every dimension of life. It's environmental, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's relational. There's no dimension of this life. And if Jesus is taking back this word kingdom, simply means rule. It means dominion. It means the reign of God. It simply means when Jesus came, he came to reinstate, if you will, the rule, the reign, if you will, the management, the values, the way things were created to be in the world so humanity can flourish. The question is, do we see ourselves as the people who bring the fragrance and the values and the goodness of God into every dimension? He basically came to bring this beautiful Hebrew word called shalom. Do you guys know what shalom means? You say peace, harmony, it does. The Hebrew University and Tel Aviv defines shalom this way. You're going to love this. Nothing missing and nothing broken. Imagine a world when there's nothing missing and nothing broken. It's creation, isn't it? There's nothing missing. There was nothing broken. And then we decided that we could distrust God and we blew up everything. God didn't throw his hands up and go like, okay, let's just scratch that and start over. No, 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 no. He came back into what was his to re-envision, re-create, reconcile, redeem that which was already his. And if that's what Jesus came to do, what do you think we get to do? What do you think? What time is it? Is it just another day? What if we got up every day and we said, my goodness, I'm a part of what God's doing in the world today. I don't have to own the whole world because that's too big of a sphere of concern, as Stephen Covey says, but I got a sphere of influence. I got a little piece of it that I can do. But you see, if I'm all hung up on my own life and all living lives and feel like I had nothing to contribute, I walk around the earth kind of like this with my head down thinking, oh man, hope Jesus can, instead of looking up and going, man, I'm part of something. God's doing. And in a little part of the world I get to influence, like you guys get to work with young people. Do you know this? Like the kids that you're working with right now, they're actually going to live a future. I'm fortunate I had no control over when I was born, but I've had the privilege to literally marry, bury, baptize people that were in my young life club. I've got kids who are in my young life club that are 58 years old with grandkids. That's crazy. And now, some of them, because of what happened in a young life club, literally their kids know the Lord and their grandkids know the Lord. Man, it's like one of the greatest privileges of my life. So here's what, let's look at Acts chapter 1. This is great. Who wrote the book of Luke? This is a little bit of Bible teaching time. Who wrote the book of Luke? Everybody ought to get this 100% right. <laughs> Luke, great. Who wrote the book of Acts? Ah, oh, see, you guys are scholars. Here we go. Okay, look, verse 1 of Luke 1. It says, in my former book, what do you, book do you think he's writing? Now he's writing Acts. What do you think Luke's former book was if he's writing Acts now? 
See, this is why the University of South Carolina is one of the top institutions. I love that. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all, get this, that Jesus, what's the next word? Say it loud, what? Began. Began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. Now let me ask you this. If he is telling him the things that Jesus began to do, what do you think he might want to tell you he's going to do now? If he began to do it then, what do you think Jesus wants to do now? Wants to what? Keep doing what he began to do. He didn't just begin something and then leave and go, okay, now it's over. Jesus, I know this might sound crazy, did not come just to die on the cross. If that's what all that he came for, he could have done it a lot sooner. He came, and for three years, starting at 30 year olds to 33, he was literally training up a movement of people who were known as what? His disciples or his students, his followers. He had three years to captivate their hearts. He was very very intentional about what he did because at the end they had to be thinking differently than the beginning and all along he's training them they're watching him they're sensing what kingdom is like the art is ken will they weren't using those words but they're beginning to see oh my gosh like this is what it's like this is what we're a part of and they're thinking man we're a part of something amazing amazing but he kept telling them look at this he keeps telling them, look, I am going to be here for a while. I'm going to go to a cross. I'm going to come back. Then I'm going to leave. And when I leave, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to give this responsibility to who? To you. John 14, verse 12 says this. You don't have to turn there, but it says this. To those who believed in him, Jesus said, the things that I do, you're going to do. And greater things than these will you do that's crazy like if jesus if i'm one of the disciples i'm going what we're, we're gonna do greater things than you did you go and i think jesus would say not just you guys because here's the deal when jesus was here he was not omnipresent meaning this he couldn't be everywhere at one time he was physically limited but guess what here's the mystery i'm gonna leave and i'm gonna send to you my holy spirit and I'm going to put my spirit within you, so now, wherever you go, who goes there? Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. If we look around this room today, 160, 70 of us, we're going to go in a ton of places today. How many people do you think we're going to touch today? Hundreds. We can literally say that Jesus Christ today is touching hundreds of people wherever even this little group of people goes. You know, there are people all over the planet right now worshiping God. It's actually Sunday morning. There are people huts in Africa, Mongolia, people in Baltimore, the church I go to. They're all over the world basically saying, what time is it? Time. Only if you think that way. It could just be another day. Another day at school. Another Young Life Club. Another camp trip. Another day at work, another day of raising my kids, another day of marriage. No. No. It's so much bigger than this. So let's go down to verse 8. Jesus said this. He said in verse 7, uh, verse 6, the disciples asked him, he was telling them he was going to leave. Excuse me, on verse 4. Uh, excuse me. On one occasion, verse 4, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. See again, that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Meaning literally you're going to be overcome, overwhelmed with the Spirit of God. And now what I was doing here, I'm going to put myself in you. And now you are going to do what I was doing and even greater things that you're going to do than what I did while I was here. This is Amazing. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, when, are you, when is the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? 
Jesus said to him, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by their own authority, but you will receive what? Power. That word power there is dunamis. It's the same word we get dynamite from. Like this isn't like Jesus comes into your life, let's just li live this little mediocre thing. Like, no, no. The, the power of God, the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up from their very eyes. This is crazy. Imagine this. Jesus talks about the Spirit. They're standing there. He's taken up from their very eyes, and he goes up in a cloud, and he's hidden from their eyes. It's like, oh, my gosh, like, what just happened? He's gone. I guess he's serious about this, right? It says that they were looking up intensely into the sky as he was going. Suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? I go, like, what? I go, like, what? Then he says, it's the same Jesus who has been taken up from you will come back when? In the same way you have seen him go. Do you guys get this? So Jesus is saying, he's here. I'm going to draw this for you in a minute. He's here. He does all these amazing things for three years, builds his team. He dies, rises again. Then he leaves. But then the scriptures say, what's going to happen one day? He's going to come back where? In the same place he left. I've had a chance to go to Israel. This is kind of a, on the Mount of Olives, and it's crazy to stand there and think, okay, like I'm kind of in this typical zone here where he's coming back one day and he left. But between when he left and when he's coming back, what are we supposed to be doing? What time is it? Who is in us? The Holy Spirit. It is not just another day. This is huge. So let me try to illustrate this to you all. Uh, let me try to draw a quick timeline. You know, um, this is wild. You know, Betsy and I are going to fly home tomorrow night. Uh, tomorrow, and it, we're going to go up past 30,000 feet in the air. But you know what's true if you're in a plane when you go up past 30,000 feet? You know what's true? The sun is always out. Always. Is the sun always out on planet Earth? No. You can say, well, it is. We couldn't see. I, but here's my point. It rains down here, doesn't it? Sometimes we get some bad weather. So here's what I'm trying to ask you. How do you keep a 30,000-foot mindset in a ground-level world? Huh? How do we get up every day and go, man, it's kingdom-building time. God, I just got the snot kicked out of me yesterday. 30,000 feet. Man, somebody I love just got sick. I don't know if they're going to make it. 30,000 feet. Man, club, like, really was bad this week. <laughs> or, man, these kids that I've invested in are pretty much just, you know, they're just making stupid decisions, just like I did. See, you have to have frameworks to understand stuff. That's why I told you yesterday, you're new. But we still struggle with old. It doesn't mean you're not new. You're just learning to become what you are. Does that make sense? DNA, caterpillar, butterfly. I'm trying to give you word pictures to understand this stuff. I'm trying to say, how do we keep a 30,000-foot mindset, not just what you're doing in the world, but what Jesus is doing in the world through his people? It's not like, okay, I have to go be in the world for God. No, no, no. Why don't you just be in God and then be in the world? And let God do what he can do, but just to know that you're a part of something bigger. So let me just draw this for you. So there was creation. I'm just going to do that with a C. This is my uh, unofficial timeline, all right? Things get going, right? And then we start moving into history, right? We have the time of the fall of man takes place. We have the time of the prophets with a P. And then eventually we have this thing called the incarnation, the coming of Jesus, right? with me now this is amazing you guys also know what um, happened on June 6 1944 anybody know huh D-Day way to go June 6 1944 remember that this can be really important so then Jesus is here for a total of 33 years right he goes to the cross eventually he then he goes to be with the Father, right? But one day, he's going to come again, right? But we're down here just kind of doing our thing, aren't we? 
We're living in this ground level world trying to keep a 30,000 foot mindset of what God's doing, right? Now what's interesting, D-Day happened on June 6, 1944. But do you know when Victory Day was? D-Day was when all the Allied forces of Europe stormed the beaches of Normandy and basically shut down this crazy regime of Hitler and the German forces, right? They could say that was D-Day, but Victory Day wasn't claimed until a year later, in May of 1945. I want you to think about this, that the coming of Jesus Christ is like D-Day. In fact, historians say, had D-Day not occurred, there would have been no V-Day or Victory Day. You had to have D-Day to have V-Day. Does that make sense? Think about this. Jesus Christ comes D-Day. But one day He's coming again, right? In the same way the Scriptures say that He left. And what day is that going to be? V-Day. Now here's the deal. Some of us will go be with Him before that day. Our earthly journey is going to end before He returns. But He's saying this, that I still am going to win and I'm coming back because one day I'm going to finally bring my kingdom in full fruition so that what ought to have been will finally what? Be. And there will be a V-Day. What I'm trying to do this morning, you guys, honestly, is this. I think the evil one literally tries to shut God's people down because we struggle and we limp right in our own stuff. I was trying to encourage us this weekend to see the richness and the beauty of being connected to the vine, that the vine has everything we need as his branches, that there's nothing more important in your relationship with this one Jesus Christ. Because what he wants to do is restore your hearts to bring you your own salvation, the salvaging of your own lives, so you can experience the wholeness, health, and security that you've been created for. Not just so you can run around and be happy yourselves, but so you can do that, but then have eyes to see that you're a part of something that's so magnificent, that's so much bigger than all of us, that God's doing, because here's the thing, between D-Day and V-Day, you know what? There are people who still died. There were still battles that occurred and skirmishes. The enemy did not, Germany did not give up easily, even though they knew we're done on D-Day. They knew they had lost, but they fought for another 11 months trying to postpone the inevitable. Let me ask you, this is what Paul says, though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does, which means there is a war. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They have divine power, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 5, to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Basically, I think what he's saying, we have a war, and it's a war of ideas as much as anything else. You know what racism is? It's an idea that somebody is better than somebody else. And when that one body gets in power, it can do crazy things to other bodies. Abuse is an idea that says what? I have the capacity to take what isn't mine and treat another. Wars are nothing more than one country saying an idea that we're afraid or we need and we use resources to take over behind every craziness, the fall of man came as an idea before it was an action. We always cave in internally before externally. It was an idea that God didn't give us enough. We need more, so therefore I will distrust. It's crazy. You see this. So between when Jesus came and when he's coming again, while we live, we still battle. The evil one's still doing his thing, but here's the, he's a defeated foe. And if he can take more of us out through discouragement, limping around and missing stuff, we won't see what it is that we bring to the world. So let me encourage you, one of the greatest things I think you can do to keep yourself aware of this, what time is it? Is it just another day? No, it's not. 
is to continue to feed your heart on the truth. And let me tell you something. Truth principally are not precepts. It's a person. His name is Jesus Christ. You are not following an idea. You're following a person. And I, I just want to tell you, whatever you can do to fall more in love with that person, reading, learning, meditating, taking walks, seeing what he created. And here's the Keep battling the concepts. You see, don't just take in stuff that every idea out there, because it keeps pounding you over and over and over and over again, is right. There's a lot of crazy stuff out there. We've got to learn to dissect ideas. And here's one of the best ways to, to test it. See what it's actually doing to people when people follow it. It bears fruit. You guys, we're part of the greatest thing in the world. Do you believe that? Oh, I'm not as good at it as this person. This is not the point. This is not about who's best or who what. We're a body. We all have different gifts. And when we all function according to who we are in response to whose we are, some things get done. We actually begin to push back evil. More and more of the kingdom comes into the realms in which we live. There have been truly high schools, communities changed because some people went and ideas got inside it. I mean, uh, bought and kids began to see themselves in ways they never did and things changed. You all do not know because of what you do. And then I want to show you a clip. Here's the thing, here's what I know because of your work. There are marriages that are going to work that wouldn't have. There are children that are going to be born that wouldn't have been. There are kids with disabilities that are going to be valued that never would have been. You know, only 3% of families with somebody who has a disability even go to church. 3%. You know why? The place they should feel most welcome, they don't feel welcome. Because if you have a Down syndrome kid in the middle of a message, he goes, I That's weird. Why is it weird? One of the greatest reasons I'd go to my church, no other church, and I'm just saying this, we have a full-blown disabilities ministry, and they're not just something we do. They're part of the church. We have a whole buddy system. It's, they literally have changed our church. There are going to be teachers whose students are going to be loved like nobody's business because of you guys and somebody getting connected to Jesus and they're going to learn it's not just another day it's a ground level world but we have a 30,000 foot mindset God is taking history somewhere it's not just another day we win we actually win he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world this is not up for grabs and I think what Jesus is saying look quit dragging dead dogs we got work to do man this is good stuff yes you're broken I get it I see it I love you. Let's heal. Let's grow. And I will say this. You will heal as you learn to give your life more away. So here's what I'm saying. I don't care if you're a young life leader till the day you die or not, but I would say this. You have a kingdom responsibility that you are never free to let go of. And if it's not this, what is it? How is it? Through your work, through how you do what you do, you put your whole heart into it. It's done for the Lord. You have a part to play. You're a part of something magnificent. So I want to show you this amazing clip. I got put onto this uh, about a year and a half ago, and I've shown it a couple times because it so crushed me in a good way. It's called Boat Lift. And um, some of you may know on 9-11 occurred. You may not have known this, but it was also the largest rescue by water in the history of man. And we never heard about it. I want you to just see the heart of these people who go to do something that are driven by a deeper thing. And imagine this in terms of maybe God's people in the kingdom and see what this stirs in you. So let's enjoy this. I thought I was watching a movie, Towering Inferno at first. And then I looked real close and I noticed it was the World Trade Center. I was compelled because I'm a type of person that can't stand by and watch other people suffer. And to me, they were suffering, they wanted to get off the island. And there was no way for them to get off the island other than the water. And I had noticed when I was watching the television, I saw a lot of 
you know, the ferries going up into the slips and taking people off. I said, fine, we can do the same thing. I can take people on my boat, get in there, take them where they have to go. And that's what we did.
do it, and that's what we did. So we decided to make the call on the radio. All available boats. This is the United States Coast Guard.
I have one theory in life. I never want to say the word I should have. If I do it and I fail, I try. If I do it and I succeed, better for me. And I tell my children the same thing. Never go through life saying you should have. If you want to do something, you do it. Greatest thing he's ever done with his life, one of those guys said. What time is it? It's not just another day. And what we're doing is exactly that. Just imagine your life, Christ in you, being one of many boats that we all converge, and God begins to build more of his kingdom into this craziness so it can actually be as it ought to be. Amen? You guys are the best. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for these men and women. I pray today, Lord, that they would know your favor. That they could hear you say over and over again like a father, that you would smile on them and that you do. That you take great delight and I pray, Lord, that there would be no lie that would rob them of that reality. That we could lean into you, the great vine, who gives us what we need to restore our hearts, Lord, so that, Jesus, we might be about this beautiful kingdom-building reality that you began and are continuing to complete until that day, that last victory day, Lord, where you will make all things new. Thank you that we get to be a part of this, that you've not only rescued us, but we get to be a part of this rescue mission. God, help us not to ever get pulled apart from this. To the glory of your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Midlands Young Life Podcast. If you enjoyed this talk, share with a friend. Leave us a review. This helps other leaders find us and get access to all this awesome resources. Thanks so much. 